Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you with support from Close Master. Learning with Close Master is fun, addictive and free. The game is simple. You will see a sentence in your target language with something missing and it's your challenge to fill in the blanks. Close Master uses high frequency word lists built into sentences from real life. So everything you learn is natural content and best of all, it's always words that you're actually going to need. And what's most exciting about Close Master for me is that it's available in over 50 languages. It comes with iPhone apps and Android apps and it works beautifully in your browser too. So you can learn anytime and anywhere and, well, not any language, but a really, really large, 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 large range of languages. And we love that. To support our show today, go to www closemaster, that's close with a Z, dot com slash CLLP, where you will find a bonus video with Closemaster tips from me and a special voucher to use when you decide to join a pro membership. So that's closemaster, C-L-O-Z-E, master.com slash CLLP. You don't need a special code, simply check it out today. Welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Cable and Lindsay Williams. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast here today with Kirsten Cable as always and a very, very special podcast co-host, one of my favorite previous guests and interview partners and just generally um, a friend of friend of the blog, friend of the show and a friend of the Kirsten, I would say. It's Shannon Kennedy from Eurolinguist. Hey, Hello. Shannon. Hello. Hey, Kirsten. <laughs> How are you doing? I love all of those things that you just called me. Um, I'm doing super well. Thank you. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. I'm on my third coffee of the day and just kind of enjoying going through the day. I'm really excited to be talking to you because... Lindsay is away, as ever, <laughs> uh, and I, lo I love being able to pull in a few friends to, to hang out with. Well, I'm so glad to fill in for her today. Yeah, and you are a very, very prof prolific language learner too, and I wanted to ask, like, how have you been getting on? What's new in your language learning story? Oh man, so much because we, the last time we talked on the podcast was quite a while ago. I mean, it was more than a year for sure, definitely. Maybe even longer than that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a lot. I've taken up a few new languages since then. I don't know. I don't remember at that time exactly what I was studying, but, um, I did a Korean project with Lindsay. Um, it was really fun. It was the first time I ever worked with a language study buddy. Um, I took a break from Korean and decided to go back to Russian. Oh, wait, I missed something. I, I learned Spanish in between there. So after Korean, I was like, I need an easy What? win. A All of Spanish? Yeah, yeah. I need a comparatively easy win. So I was like, I'm going to work on Spanish and get it to a good enough level that I can work in this language. So I did like a really intensive uh, uh, Spanish project. So I studied Spanish for a while. And then after I studied Spanish, I did like a three-day Italian refresh to get my Italian back because it was like five, six years since I had used it. 
And then after the Italian project, I went back to Russian, started studying Russian again, started studying Croatian again, decided I wanted to dabble in Japanese. But then I just started doing the add one challenge, which which requires you to focus on just one language. So I decided I was going to focus on Croatian. So for the next three months, that's my focus. And then I'm going to go back to Russian and Japanese. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's quite a whirlwind. And you're right that the last time we talked is about a year and a half to two years ago. And still you've crammed a lot, a lot in there. So at the moment it's all Croatian? Yes. All Croatian. That's amazing. Yeah. Excellent. And have you done the language? No, the Add One Challenge before? I haven't. This is my first time. Fantastic. Cool. Okay. And something that you mentioned in your... um in your long list of languages there was that you were working on Korean with Lindsay. And I remember sort of seeing that you two were study buddies, holding each other accountable and just kind of getting it done together. And did you know, this is one of my news items for the week that I wanted to mention. Did you know who's got a new Korean course out as far as you can call what they do courses? Maybe a new Korean computer game. Yes. But I'm going to let you talk about it. <laughs> okay. So the... Um, giant app in language learning that you've probably got on your phone, you're probably using right now, um, Duolingo. Duolingo has got Korean out at the moment, which I think is, I think it's really, really interesting that they waited this long. I didn't expect that because the Welsh course was done, the Esperanto course was done way before the Korean course. Uh, what do you think has been holding them back? Well, because I think it's pretty much crowdsourced like they rely on communities developed to develop the courses for them um it might have been something along the lines that the welsh creators were just a little bit more enthusiastic than the korean in getting the course out i'm not really sure but you're right it's interesting that it's taken a while it, actually i found in general that the order that the language comes up is kind of funny because i mean high valerian is already up and i think they have dothraki too mm-hmm mm-hmm and those came out before Korean, as did Klingon. So I think it just depends on who's developing the course. I think you might be right. And you make an interesting point, which is that um, I know I know some of the creators of Welch. And in the show uh, next week, I'm interviewing actually Chuck, who created the Esperanto course. And those are kind of these minority or small small language communities so the creators of the courses have an interest in putting it on duolingo because duolingo is this massive massive platform and with korean you can imagine it would work the other way around i found this um, forbes article that i was just skimming uh, but the headline is really good because it says duolingo is launching a korean course to cash in on asia's booming language market so what what they're implying is that the Korean course for English learners is kind of, um, they've got Mandarin Chinese coming up as well, which is another one you'd think they would have had a thousand years ago, but they didn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and what they're saying is, look, Asian users have got money. And that's actually what Duolingo are saying is we, we, want, we want to get in there. So I'm not sure if they mean Asian users have money, though. Maybe they're saying that people who are interested in those things have disposable income. Yeah, because it's a course for English speakers, right? So if you're a right. Chinese, why would you take the Korean course from Duolingo? Right. So I'm not... Yeah. 
So one thing that I, I think it coincided with that I sort of noticed in the app, because they've been doing a lot of press releases about, hey, we've got Korean. Um, not quite as many press releases about, hey, you can now pay us a tenner a month, <laughs> you know. Um, but I've seen that that is out there as well. And I thought that was that was really interesting. So Duolingo now has a, I don't know what they're calling it, a pro membership or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's... Um, because this is a very classic sort of startup model that you're seeing with them now. And I'm reminded of Twitter, which also didn't make any money at the start. So Duolingo is, has been backed by Ashton Kutcher and Investor XYZ from uh, Silicon Valley. You know, it's it's had a lot of support to get to where it is now. Um, and, you know, in that, in that way also has, has given course creators this amazing platform, but at the same time has gained a huge user base being free um, and now it's kind of going into a, a more classic model which is interesting because Duolingo's huge selling point has always been that it's free it remains free but with the um, the feel of the app for me is slightly different now uh, I don't know how much you've been using it but what's been your experience with Duolingo I mean, I understand that they've got like a whole team of people and things. So obviously money needs to come from somewhere to support that so that they can keep managing it and developing it. And I did notice a while ago that they added ads so that when you complete your study on a module or whatever, you get like a little ad and it gives you the explanation for why you're seeing the ad. So and the paid model, technically Duolingo is still free. Um, it's just now you see ads if it's free for you and then the paid model I think is just so that you don't see the ads so if you want to skip all of that and just focus on your study because the ads can be distracting mm -hmm. um, so I, I mean I understand I understand also why people would be upset about it because their whole thing is will always be free so I, I get both both angles, um, but I can't be mad at them for introducing a paid model. Mm, I I agree. I agree, and in a way, I'm in a way I'm. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I on my blog, I am on record as a Duolingo skeptic, but I honestly have to say that the more transparent they become, and adding pro memberships and adding ads to me gives it a feeling that they're a little bit. They don't look greedy. They look more transparent. You know, it looks more like, well, we've got stuff to pay for. Whereas before I always felt like, why is this free? You know, what what is happening behind the scenes that I'm not seeing? Um, so in that sense, it makes me as a user feel ever slightly more trusting, perhaps. And um, I, I found it interesting to see that they've also gone even more in on the gamification. With the health bars um, changing again. And, um, you know, now you can buy the little gems. Mm to keep your streak going if you're if you're a person that's motivated by your streaks which I am absolutely not um competition with other users and the clubs yeah maybe <laughs> but the streaks no <laughs> uh, but you know there's <laughs> there's just so much going on in this app now and I I think it's interesting that they've gone even more into gamification um and I just really this year my feeling about Duolingo is I like watching what they're doing um, and watching where they're going next. My main concern with it has always been um, any user who who does only Duolingo uh, because I feel like they're missing out so much, which, yeah. Okay, so that kind of brings me on to my next topic, if I, if I may raise my main uh, hypothesis or topic of the show. <laughs> um, 
because the other thing I really wanted to talk about, and I think you're a perfect person to to kind of hang out and, and have this chat with, is about reading. Uh, reading in in another language. Now I am I'll just go all in and, and say I am not a not a voracious reader, not all the time, but I love reading. I always have since I was a little girl and I just really enjoy it. I get a lot out of it. I do read a little bit in foreign languages, um, but also I recognize that it's hard work. <laughs> so, mm. but I've always, you know, like since I could read in English, I've read in English. So it's, uh, it's always, it takes so long for it to get enjoyable. But reading is, is important. And for me, it's something that I really, really enjoy. Um, what about you? I am a voracious reader. <laughs> so I, I love in I love reading. I just absolutely enjoy sitting down with a book. I go through phases where it's like all that I do and nothing else, both in English and in other languages. And uh, I've been that way as long as I can remember. I So reading is huge for me. And what do you think about, is there a stage in another language, say in your Russian, for example, do you ever feel like it's, it's too soon? Like you don't want to, you don't want to read yet? I know a lot of people might do Michelle Thomas or other courses that just they kind of preview that you don't read at all. So I'm going to say that depends. Um, for Russian, I learned the alphabet right away. So I was able to kind of jump in right away. And I find the sooner you, you force yourself to familiarize your, like, yourself with the alphabet, that the sooner you're able to read fluently, like maybe you don't understand everything, but you can at least, you know what the words are, like you can pronounce them or say them, even if it's just in your head. So um, yes and no, but then at the same time, I tried to read right away in Japanese and that didn't work for me. I had to sit down and really focus on the alphabets. And then I'm still incredibly slow at getting through words because I mean they have three writing systems four writing systems and so it's a little bit overwhelming but um with like Russian or Italian or Spanish or French I just started right away and um I have a, a favorite app that I use to do that but I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point but um I have to say it depends mm -hmm. oh, that's and, an interesting one it, especially because you've got a lot of experience with um unusual scripts and alphabets and mm -hmm. I've I've learned Russian and I can read Cyrillic now and when I when actually I found that one of the one of the things that satisfied me most in my Russian journey which I um, recklessly abandoned to go to Wales but um, one of the things that I really really got a lot of satisfaction from was being able to read Cyrillic I was like yeah you know it and I was I was traveling a lot at the time. Um, so my first contacts with, with Russian was sort of um, before I'd made the choice to learn Russian. I used to travel to Kazakhstan and in Kazakhstan, in Almaty, all of the road names, I, I like walking. So I was trying to like walk to my business meetings. I was there on a business trip um, and all of the road names are in are in Cyrillic. And I had one map from the hotel, one sort of little not very good street map and it was all in it was in English transliteration and in Russian so I was walking literally walking around town going Shevchenko Shevchenko um 
and kind of going, okay, so that looks like a thingy and then an E and then a B and then a no no and then like walking around, looking around me, trying to recognize those letters, you know, on the street signs, um, and sort of slowly connecting them to the sounds. And um, without reading, I felt like that allowed me to learn, and always with reading, it allowed me to learn at my own pace and to connect the pronunciation together with um, together with what you see. And to me, in every language so far that I've learned, what I, connecting what I see with what I hear and then connecting kind of even what I put out with, <laughs> with, with what it might look like, it's, it's just so, so much better. I remember I used to email, try and email my German colleague in Russian before I'd learned Cyrillic, um, or maybe, yeah, before I'd sort of learned properly. Um, and, and it was just sort of what I'd learned from this podcast. And she was, you know, like a classic German. She was just like, ha, 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 what are you doing? You're Russian. Oh my God. It's full of spelling mistakes. You idiot. Um, and it was just, you know, it was, it was almost impossible to, to get a real sense of what I was doing until I had learned to read properly. But I can completely understand what you're saying about Japanese because in Japanese that doesn't take a week or two. That takes like forever, right? <laughs> it takes a lot longer than a week, yeah. And do you think, like, how do you, do you think it's um, not useful then? Because if, honestly, if I was being, if I was now learning Japanese or, or Chinese, I would look for, definitely in Chinese, I would try and get away with pinyin for as long as I possibly can. Okay, so here is my thought on this because I did initially try doing Chinese with pinyin and uh, I, it confused me because there are a lot of homophones. <laughs> and so when I started learning characters, I was like, wait, why is this one sound, this character here and this other character here? Because I thought it was like a one-to-one. -one. But so for me, here's what it is. A lot of people say, like, at the beginning, you don't need to learn how to read in your language or learn the alphabet of your language because that's not how we initially learn when we learn our first language. We have several years of just listening and attempts at speaking um, before we start to speak our native language. And then it's not until we're like four or five, six that we learn how to read in our language. So there's no reason not to approach your second language that same way, like just base it on audio and work on sounds and what you're hearing and what you're producing. But I don't really like that because for me, as an adult learner, I've already been through the process of learning a language and I have all of these skills that I didn't have as a little kid. So I don't want to wait four, five, six years to start writing in the language and gaining that skill set. And also because I think that by learning to read and write in the language as soon as possible actually makes it easier to learn the language because one you're not as limited with the resources that you can work with because a lot of learning resources, they assume that you're going to learn to read in the language and that you're going to learn the separate writing system. So automatically, if you don't learn to read and write in the language, you can't use those resources. And then two, it's just, you like you said, you'd learn to pronounce better because it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. So what one letter even though it corresponds with a letter in English, it may not necessarily be exactly the same sound. So Yeah, that uh, sounds frustrating. Right. So if you learn the alphabet, you actually learn the correct sound. So when you read 
a word in the correct script, you're going to have a better pronunciation than if you're reading a romanization of it, Mm -hmm. typically. Um, Or a more accurate, I should say, because the romanizations, they're more approximations. So for me, honestly, I like to learn to read and write as soon as possible because again, that's, and then that's another connection for me. So when I see things, I guess I'm more of a visual learner, I suppose. There's just something that clicks for me than when I'm just completely relying on audio and speaking and my memory. Because for me, writing is a huge memory aid. So when I have things written down, um, it just helps. And then I can tell you too that when I have tried just focusing on audio, it creates this extra step in my head. Like, for example, in Croatian, my first experience really seriously learning Croatian was with an audio course. And so when you say like you're going like, uh, or it's on, uh, it's at the restaurant. So you say, restaurant and for me, like for some reason, that first ooh, I always visualized in my head as O-O because that's how I see that sound as an English speaker. But it's actually written with the letter U. <laughs> and so there's just this like disconnect ex- extra step in my head that I've created that I first visualized double O, even mm-hmm. though it's not double O at all. And so it's this extra information that I have in my head because I didn't work with the writing system. That, that is so interesting. And, you know, you're reminding me of... I mean, you're reminding me of the fact that you are mostly a native English speaker, right? Yeah. You're sort of you're sort of bilingual in French, but maybe not as you know, not in the, in the way that I'm a native German speaker. And right. maybe this is this is also I don't know. I'm just riffing here, but English isn't English isn't consistent at all in how it's spelled, right? English doesn't tell you anything, whereas German, the more I feel, the more pronunciation consistencies and rules you learn and you can spot uh the better really and german is so consistent and so like clear with the sound that perhaps that's like that's the anchor that i know from home and and then i look for it in other languages as well and i i've always always done pronunciation first however we are talking about reading. So let me get back to, to um, reading in detail. So I think what we're saying really is it, there is no too soon for, for reading in a foreign language. If, you have, if, if you've decided that that is part of, of the way that you learn, and I agree with you, Shannon, I'm the same. For me, I, I, I want to learn with visuals. I'm not like I do... I do this thing called Say Something in Welsh. It's a total audio course. It kind of, you know, used to, at the start, it used to say much more like, don't worry about how these things look. Don't worry about how to spell them. And there's me with the dictionary going, no, no, this is not how that's going to work for me. <laughs> and I've noticed actually that now in the app, you you get little transcripts, you get bits, and it helps me so, so much because they have a sound that is A, that can be spelled in like three different ways. Um, and it's never in the way that I think it is. <laughs> and you know so so i i want to see i want to see really early i want to read really early so that's kind of the, the the first bit so when you first start reading in a foreign language you kind of you sort of just read what you're hearing and it's still this sort of baby steps familiarizing yourself but then you sort of get to the next stage right where you are you, at least my my experience has been you sort of start craving um 
well, we've, we've just been to Langfest, right? You start craving that comprehensible input thing. Um, yeah, something that you can understand and that stretches you a bit. But what's really important for me is you start craving something that's interesting, right? And if I just, if I have to listen to one more, like, an, or read one more dialogue about, I would like to buy a train ticket to Bratislava, please. That's not that interesting. And especially not if the book is really old and then it sort of goes smoking or non-smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I don't want, God, is this what language learning is still like? And it isn't, right? That's You sort of start looking for these input materials. That's that's my feeling. So my question, for, for me, there is no too soon, really, even to start looking for something interesting. But there is that huge gap between when you're starting to read a novel in a foreign language, which is, you know, then you're fancy. Um but there's this whole like stage beforehand where you, um, you, you're not really that good. So what do we do in that in-between stage? For me, I love um, language learning magazines. So the things that are written for language learners um, and actually have the vocab printed in there. I love those two bits. Um, but I don't really know a lot of other stuff. So what do you do when you're kind of intermediate, not that good yet? And you, you want to read, you want to get some good input. Okay. Um, well, so I should say that for me, um, my reason for reading is a little bit different. Like you said, like course books, they're very limited and they only go so far and the subjects that they select are very um, definite. So for me, reading allows me to do something that I enjoy in my target language. And I think that's really important for your motivation that you have something that you look forward to in your studies. And because I love reading so much, that's why it's so critical for me to include it and mm -hmm. then plus when you read in your target language you're actually able to kind of create your own learning system so you're not relying on a course book to tell you today we're going to buy train tickets and tomorrow we're going to talk about a currency that this country doesn't use anymore and then the next day we're going to talk about cassette tapes you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so, that's kind of i think all of all of us have have had that kind of experience. So I tried to read then, and I, mean, I agree, I read for enjoyment. I tried to read, you see, the um, this book in Welsh, and it's a book for Welsh learners, and it sort of said, oh, the Welsh in the Olympic Games. I was like, all right, okay, so sports, blah, yeah, whatever, I'll read it, right? It might be interesting. I read one page, Shannon, and sat there with a dictionary. It took me, and it was like, this is not even a normal-sized book, right? This is a half-sized pocket-booky thing. I read one page in this book for beginners, or intermediate, or whatever they call it, and I swear to you, half an hour just looking up words. The whole page was annotated afterwards. So, so then, what is the point of that? How do you get around that? Mm. So, I mean, it's all about choosing stuff that's right for your level. So, I mean, for example... Like with some languages, you don't have to start totally from the beginning. If they're like, if I was reading in Italian or Spanish, I could pick something that was a little bit higher level, even if my ability is not as good as, say, Chinese. But with Chinese, reading is a completely different beast than speaking the language. The, something that's really interesting to me about Chinese is if you learn the character, the meanings of the characters, even if like you're associating an English meaning with the Chinese character, you don't actually ever have to speak Chinese like the language you don't have to know what the characters what sounds they stand for mm -hmm. so you could actually just go straight character to english and still be able to read in the language which has always just 
completely fascinated me. Um, but what I do is I pick, um, so I have more advanced books in Chinese that I, I enjoy. Like I love science fiction and fantasy. So I have some books that are that genre that I read in that language using um, an app. But as far as like actual physical, physical books that I have, what I've done is um, I'll buy things that I think are cute or that I want to share with my son. So we have like the book Finding Dory in Chinese. I have this really cute little series with bears that talk about different things like waiting in line and putting your toys away and brushing your teeth. And um, I have Winnie the Pooh, which was like a story from when I was a kid. So learning to read it in Chinese. And um, so that's the kind of material mm -hmm. that I pick. So and then I have a bunch of Disney stories and stuff like that because Disney's great. You can't go wrong with Disney, right? <laughs> it's yeah. classic fairy tales. Um, so stories so for I, kids, basically. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't just pick any story for kids because I don't necessarily enjoy stories for kids. So for me, picking these stories is to share them with my son and because he enjoys them. Like he likes the car story and he likes Kung Fu Panda and he likes Finding Dory. So I pick those stories because he enjoys hearing them, you know, mm -hmm. and then... Um, for the stuff that I pick for myself, I will pick something that's a, at a little bit more of an advanced level. Like I have a book about French culture in Chinese, um, but it's a like a beginning reader. So it's not um, a complicated text. Mm -hmm. and, and you it, you said that you read you read in an app. Yes, I do. I use um, Link. Mm -hmm. So Link is super amazing because you can import news articles. So if there's news stories that interest you, you can add them right into the app on your phone. They actually have a feed that shows news stories that you can pull in. There's user-generated content. There's the Link Chinese course um, or whatever language. They have several languages. And then the feature that is my most favorite that I absolutely love that is what sold me on the app is that you can take your ebooks and drop them into the app so before i started using link i would buy the physical books so i have a ton of books in chinese spanish italian russian croatian around the house like the actual physical books french books too but i don't use link so much for french um because i can read it like i read english but um so I had all these physical books and what would end up happening is I'd sit down and I'd read and I'd have to take notes and I'd have a notebook because I don't like to write in my books. And so I'd have to come up with a system to note down the words that I didn't know. So it's like it was really slow and halting yeah, and that's, frustrating. That's where I get me. annoyed. Yeah. So um, I still did it because I liked doing it and it was a really good way for me to learn vocabulary that mattered for me. Um, but then when I started using Link that eliminated like 90% of the process. So the way that Link works is like, okay, let's say um, like right now in Link, one of the Chinese eBooks that I was able to find and import, um, I found it on Amazon. So I bought the eBook and then um, I imported it in was the Hunger Games in Chinese. So I have the Hunger Games in Chinese on my phone and I'm reading it. So what happens is as I'm reading, um, like when you first start, it shows all the words as unknown, but you start marking the words that you know. And so the color changes and it's just white, like normal text. Hang on, hang and on, then hang you... on. I have a question. Okay. <laughs> Miss, um, you're importing your book into linked into Link? Yes. I nearly called it LinkedIn then. Never import anything into LinkedIn, use uh, listeners. LinkedIn is, is rubbish. So anyway, Link. So you import your own book into Link. 
Yes. I didn't know that. I thought you had to sort of wait until they've, I don't know, done something with whatever is out there. Oh, no. You put your own materials in. So I've imported oh, like a ton changer. of books in Russian. I know. I have Game of Thrones in Russian. I have The Hunger Games in Chinese. I have um, what other stuff? I don't know. I just have a ton of stuff in there. I import. I love Russian history. So I have a bunch of stuff about Russian history in there that I've imported in Russian. And so it's um, then you take those texts that are texts that you want to read. So all you have to do basically is find the ebook. And then if it's um, a different format, you convert it into a text file and there's a software that you can use to do this and you import the book and then you can work with the books that you want to work with. So uh, you're reading and you mark the words that you know and then you mark the words that you don't know. And then when you mark a word as unknown, when you turn the page, you do flashcard review. So you actually get to study the words that you marked as unknown, which yeah. is great. Or or you can skip the flashcard review, which I typically do because it pops up too often for And who doesn't love a flashcard review? <laughs> I don't I don't I, love flashcard reviews. Does anyone? I do, but <laughs> 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 not while I'm reading. They're two separate tasks for me, so I want them separated out. But it it's just been wonderful because I'm um oh one of the books that I'm reading is The Name of the Wind in Spanish. Um I love Patrick Rothfuss. He's an amazing writer. Mm. And I love the book so much and I'm waiting for the next one and I know I'm going to wait a while. I'm not one of those people that's going to drive the author crazy saying, when's the next book coming in the series? So instead, what I've decided to do is I want to reread the book. But since I'm going to reread the book, why would I reread it in English? I should read it in one of the languages that I'm learning. So this is what I was doing for French all the time. I was reading all the books that I love over in French. And so now that I have other languages that I can read in, I'm like, well, this time I'm going to read it over in Spanish. So I bought the Spanish ebook. And I imported it into Link, and I'm, like, halfway through this book that's, like, a monstrosity of, like, a thousand pages of fantasy writing with beautiful prose. And I'm reading it in Spanish because Link has enabled me to do that. I was reading it with the actual book, and it's funny because the amount of time it took me to get through two pages in the actual book, I was able to get through, like, two chapters in the ebook on Link. And what's great is Link doesn't do any of the work for you, so, the like, the learning that you're getting out of reading with a physical book, you still get that same process with Link. So it's not like you're skipping steps that are critical to making this a great learning opportunity. Instead, it's just simplifying them and making, like, more automating them so it's just easier to get through and what it does is it removes any barriers to you enjoying reading in your target language mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay uh hang on a second i'm not affiliated with them in any way just so you guys know <laughs> no so, i know you're like you're I'm like the biggest fan the right yeah i'm i'm just honestly their biggest fan like their number one fan no, well steve's their one number one fan but i'm their number two fan <laughs> it's it sounds fabulous it sounds it sounds really interesting now here is something here's something that i've noticed um apart from the fact that i'm gonna have to take a closer look at link because i have i have sort of played around with it and i never really got it yeah i don't think they have welsh uh, and it's weird right when you know somebody who is so into something and I mean, this this is not the only time this has happened, but um, you kind of, you know, I want to dig in deeper. I want to kind of look into it deeper. But at the same time, if I don't get it and I don't get it, maybe it just doesn't suit my learning style. But I don't know. Like you, okay, you I sell it so much. You. I know, but I have to tell you, okay, first, I don't think they have Welsh yet because they do have to have system support for languages. But um, the first time I tried Link, 
I did not get it at all. And I, I did not like it. And so then I decided a few years after that I was going to give it another go because I, I was watching some of Steve's videos and he kept mentioning it. And I thought, you know what? I'm a lot farther along now than I was the last time I tried it. So I'm going to try it again. And the trial account, you have like limited credits and I ran out of them uh, within five minutes. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm never going to know if I like this app or not. So I emailed them and I said, can, um, because keep in mind that my account was one I had created from a while ago. So I had already used up most of the credits. When you start a new account, you get more than what I had when I tried the second time. Mm-hmm. So um, I emailed them and I said, I don't feel like I had enough time with it to see if I really liked it or not. And so it got the communication going with the link team. And I, through that, I found out all the different things that they could do, the app could do. And then that's when I really got into it and fell in love with it. So it was not love at first sight for me. And it was more love at third sight for me. Mm. Um so, I mean, there is a little bit of a learning curve and then like if it's not super 100% clear what you're what you can do with it when you first get into it. They are they have made it a lot better even since I signed up my second time. Um but I don't know. It's just it I honestly the moment that I found out I can input my own articles in my own books, I was just head over heels for it. Yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing. And that kind of brings me to to a second point because you know like discovery is important but that the, there is always that issue of when we try to read at a level that is our level plus two and not our level plus one like maybe we we should but there isn't there just isn't that much material available it it gets really frustrating there's so much friction so link alleviates that friction in a really interesting yes. in a really interesting way um and you don't you know i don't have to sit there with my welsh book and my dictionary um so if uh, alternatives or at least alternatives that i have found that i really like is like you say kids books are great um for me language learner magazines are just are just so so cool because they've got the vodka printed right in there and i love the format i love that i get a physical magazine in my house just kind of arriving on the doorstep i don't have to do anything and I'd, i've always loved magazine subscriptions it's just something so exciting about getting a new issue and you know you've got you know i like i like the pictures <laughs> and, you know and, and i like i like not knowing what's coming Right, so there, there's something, and and the fact that it's bite-sized articles that I can actually sort of read in the morning over coffee, um, that, you know, not as intimidating as this massive tome that you might otherwise sort of deal with, or a kid's story, because for a lot of people, I think a kid's story doesn't, it you know, feels so irre irrelevant to your life. It it doesn't quite hold the same interest level. So there's there's actually options out there for for everybody. Now, something that you mentioned earlier that I, I want to come back to because this is something that really has been bothering me so, so much. And again, I don't know if it is because I am not somebody who grew up Anglophone. I'm not somebody who grew up in an English-speaking environment. I have grown up reading... When I grew up reading Enid Blyton, right? So I grew up reading British li literature in translation into German. And... Um, I loved the way it brought me into another world. 
And now you say, you know, there's like, and that's something beautiful about languages. I think all of us learn languages, or I definitely do learn languages because it brings, a, it, it just adds so much to your world because it basically opens up a new one. And, and that's amazing about languages, right? So here is the thing is um, there are so many people and, and, and this is a, a common, common, common thing. When you're reading in a foreign language, you reach for stories that you already know and appreciate. Fair enough. You end up with something like The Hunger Games or Harry Potter, you know, which are hugely popular or perhaps some other British classic. And you end up reading that in foreign translation. Right. And I think that's very, very common. But I feel. I kind of feel like people are missing a trick in in why not read something that is actually from the country of your target language and really experience that unique worldview, that unique perspective, which was part of the reason why you learned a language in the first place. And I, honestly, I find it. I find it frustrating, you know, not not wanting to tell other people what to do, but but kind of a little bit. I I feel that I feel that people really really miss out because what you're doing is you're you're reducing the language to to linguistics essentially, and missing out on on the other part that comes with language. So I wonder, I don't know, I wonder how you feel about that. I wonder if if the the motivation and and warm feeling that you get from a story that you already know is that enough for you or do you feel do, you know can you see that side of it so i completely agree with you which is why in the language reading challenge one month one of the books you're supposed to read is something that's been translated into your target language and another month one of the things that you're supposed to read is something that was originally written in the target language because not only does it kind of take you to another world and you get another perspective, but the way that the language is written is completely different. When someone is writing in a language and that's the language that you're reading, the approach to that writing is one beast. Exactly. When you have someone who's taking a text that was originally in another language and they're figuring it, figuring out how to put it into their language, the way that they approach that and how it's going to turn out again. Is completely different. So for me personally, I always say do both. Now that said, and I'm going to use French as an example because that's what I'm most well versed in. Like I said, I enjoy history. So finding books about history from in any language, that's really easy. You can find great historians and great authors in, in any language. And, and so for that, I do read tons of history in all languages. Now, science fiction fantasy the style that I've grown to love in English, finding something of similar quality in other languages has been incredibly difficult for me. Um, there is a really famous Chinese writer who's been translated into English who I'd love to read in the original Chinese. But for French, for example, when I try and find French science fiction fantasy authors, and I've read several, I go... To back to FNAC every time I go to France and raid the science fiction fantasy cent uh, section, avoiding non-French writers, uh, I have yet to find something that I'm really truly in love with in the same way that I'm really truly in love with some of the English-speaking authors. 
And I'm wondering if that's maybe just a bias because I've just grown so accustomed to that form of storytelling, to that his that heritage, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, or if it's honestly that I just don't connect with, I mean, the language is beautiful, but I just don't feel like the storytelling holds up. Well, they write differently, right? If you even if you're reading a magazine in French, um, I I feel that the the, the style, uh, the writing style, it, it kind of, and I've never I've never, I don't know. I I was going to say I've never got past the point where French reading wasn't difficult, but that's not true because in my degree, I regularly read articles from Le Monde, and it wasn't a problem, you know, which is reasonably high level French. It's a newspaper, but. Literary French is so colorful and but but that in a way is exactly that thing, isn't it? Like literary French tells you something about like, I don't know, the French soul. <laughs> Whereas literary German is very, very different. Literary German is is I th- I think in my my gut feeling is it's a little bit less elliptical, you know, there's less um half sentences and sort of just loose words and stuff um and oh, literary welsh or like written welsh is a whole whole different kettle of fish because they write different to how they speak um but it, again it's you know like you you add something you add something new when you're going proper literary so perhaps perhaps that's why people feel like sticking with what they know because it's because um uh, Fiction or literary writing is is kind of is difficult. Plus, you, what exactly what you mentioned is hard to find, right? It's it's hard to find, or at least we feel it's hard to find something except for classics. It is hard to find when you're a cultural outsider because you're not familiar with the repertoire, right? So you kind of have to do this guesswork, or you can ask for recommendations. But then even this, it's the same thing. If I ask for a recommendation for a book from a friend who also speaks English and also loves science fiction fantasy, they could recommend some stuff to me that I really don't like. Even knowing if they know what I like, because everyone just has different tastes. So when you go out and you ask a native speaker who may not necessarily like the same genre as you, hey, can you recommend a book to me in French in science fiction fantasy? They're going to name people off the top of their head that they know that are are uh, well-known because they might not be super familiar with yeah. Uh, maybe what you'd particularly like. But at the same time, like I said, I do read French science fiction fantasy. And I have absolutely n- no problem with the l- way that it's written, like the language and the use of the language. I do enjoy that. What I'm, What I was saying is like the actual stories, which has nothing to do with the language. It's like, it, it doesn't appeal to me as much, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And when we think about it, number one, um, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because if you went to a German speaker and said, hey, recommend me some sci-fi, really good German sci-fi, um, I don't know. Like, uh, Or if you don't qualify it with German, that German person is probably going to go, Dune, I really like, and Terry Pratchett, and this English speaker yeah. thing. You know, <laughs> that's that's what happens because, um, oh, there was this, this article that I read, and I'm just going to... I'm just going to quote you the numbers because they were they were pretty staggering, um, and still they make sense. In in English speaking markets, two or three percent of everything that's on the market is literature translated from another language, 
And that includes like the really famous authors like Murakami and Carlos Risafon and you know all of all of those big big names uh, Kafka and whatever else has been written in foreign but in a non english speaking market um for example in slovenia it's 70% anglophone originally in english even in france it's 27% that are originally written in english and then i know from you know from being a german reader um, and growing up in a German environment um, it feels to me my gut feeling would be that about half is is literature in translation um, and there's a good proportion of sort of things that get translated from Swedish Norwegian um, in fact there's a there's a book series I love to read um, that is in Icelandic in the original and I prefer to read them the German translation to the English translation because there is the other edition which is the better your translator um, and the more you know, the more linguistically into it your translator, the, the the better your reading experience. So, which which goes to show that you lose something from the original. But you know, so coming back to the con coming back to the the point of the availability, it can be just so much more difficult. And then what you what you feel you have to look for, say if you're learning, um, let's pick a minor minorly famous language. Um, say if you're learning Polish, for example, you you don't. You, you almost assume that they don't have chiclet written in Polish or they don't have crime novels written in Polish or, you know, whatever you don't think of as deep, deep literature because you wouldn't be able to buy it in, a, in a, an American bookshop. Um, you assume that it doesn't exist. But in the home markets, it does. Yeah, okay, so first, totally random off-topic, but when you said chiclet, it made me think of chiclet the gum. And so... Like, <laughs> It, I like couldn't make the connection. It took me a minute to realize that you meant like chick literature. That was just like I had a moment there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really interesting. I, English just dominates mm -hmm. everywhere, and it's really frustrating to me. It's like the same thing with music. So like, um, when you go and you listen to the radio in other countries, it's like you'll hear tons of English songs and and. Like, the radios in other countries, especially, like, France and French-speaking Canada, they even have, like, regulations on how much, what percentage of the music has to be in French on the radio, because otherwise it would just be all English all the time. And you look at, like, you go on Spotify and you're trying to find music from a country, so you go to, like, uh, the Croatia Top 100 charts, trying to find Croatian music, and in the Top 100, it's like, there's two songs that are in Croatian, the other 98 are in English. Yeah. And you're like, what is and happening? they're all Croatian people singing in English. And that too, yeah. Oh. I, I think the person at, uh, from the, comp the big singing competition in Europe... Uh, the, the Croatian artist sung in English this year, but it's just, it drives me nuts. It's like all of this, like, because I mean, I understand in a way that they're trying to reach a larger market and they can do so by doing it in English. But at the same time, I feel like um, people who speak that language are losing out on having their own great body of literature or music because of that happening. And then again, like I go into the bookstore in France, FNAC, and I'm trying to find books by French authors, and it's like 90% of the shelf is like George R. R. Martin. Not that I have a problem with that because I love Game of Thrones, but I mean, it's, it makes it hard to find other stuff because, um, you know, when you search online, it's just so much it's overwhelming. And like, you know, with self-publishing, the quality of the books isn't always the same, so you don't know what you're going to come across. So when you're unfamiliar with the material, it's easier to go into the store because 
when you go into the store, you know what's there works and is of a certain quality, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you go into the store and everything is just translations of English works as opposed to stuff by French authors, you're like, where do I even start? Like, I don't know what to do at this point. Yeah. It makes it difficult. And like you said, even again, like when I was asking my French friends what I should read, their first recommendations were books by English-speaking authors that were translated into French. Yeah. And translation, you know, translation, I want to just sort of put this in as a disclaimer. I've I've worked as a translator and I know I know how tough it is. And I have I have friends who are translators whose work and linguistic skills and love of language I deeply, deeply admire. So this isn't this isn't a commentary on translation. This is a commentary on the cultural and kind of um, Im immersive viewpoints and and I think motivation benefits that you get, um, and also just the 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 widening of your horizon that you should have if you are um, learning a language and becoming a citizen of the world, um, and that means stop reading about an English schoolboy in a foreign language or not stop, but don't 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 just do that. That's just. I don't know. There's something. There's something about everybody reading Harry Potter again and again and again in other languages that that I find so frustrating, because it's it it just feels like such an opportunity to widen your world worldview, uh, spent, but it's hard to find other stuff. So where do we go to look? And I I've thought about this. Um, one place where I find magazine recommendations that are contemporary and or book recommendations that are contemporary and kind of um, helpful and, and give me a little bit of, a, of an input is definitely uh, magazines. So even things like Marie Claire. Then there are book blogs in your target language. So if you kind of just look around and even just Google book recommendations in your target language and perhaps even use the country setting of your target country. You could use Google, you could use uh, Bing if you want, or you could use DuckDuckGo. Um, any search engine will kind of work in that way. And I found um, um, one of one of the one of the people who regularly I work with is a Norwegian book blogger, and and I was amazed to to see like what she gets through, you know. And she reads English translation, but also things written in the original, but also. Um, once you've got access to something that shows you a little bit in that market, what you also get is um, maybe something that is still in translation, but it might be in translation from a neighbor country. So the Norwegians read more Swedish in translation, for example. Or you can imagine that in Korea, you might get way more Chinese literature and worldview translated into Korean. So once you start kind of, once you open it up, I think it starts getting in there. Sadly, um, Amazon isn't isn't as much of a help as you, you'd hope it would be. Um, the other thing that I really liked that I found was um, book prizes. And you get them for kids literature and you get them for adult literature as well. So if you kind of find out what the book prizes are um, in that target country and those really, really help. And they usually, I don't know, often they're sponsored by, um, you know, things like in America, you've got a big Oprah book club. So there's usually a breakfast TV company or a, a coffee house or, you know, somewhere you'd you'd think would be reading. And they sort of 
do more of the beach read type thing. So that, that might be useful. Or I think even just to read the newspaper or to read magazines. I find magazines are such a... They're not literary and they're not fiction, but they are stories and they often contain little bits of fiction and, like I said, lots of book recommendations. So that's kind of where I go first when I'm reading in a foreign language is magazines. Okay. I go a little bit different than you. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I find out who some of the big publishers are. Oh, uh, the publishing smart. companies. Yeah. And then once you find out who, like, the big ones are, they tend to have lots of little umbrella smaller companies that are specific to different genres. And uh, so that's how I do it. And once um, publishers, they kind of tend to publish things that are similar, not necessarily, I don't mean similar, but I mean similar, I guess, like, I don't know how to put it exactly. But you can, so when you find a book within a certain um, publisher that you enjoy, the chances of you enjoying the, the other things from that publisher are higher than if you were just randomly going at a genre across publishers. So um, that's what I do. I look for publishers. Mm, how do you, what would be the first step if somebody wants to look for a publisher in, I don't know, in, in their target language and their target language happens to be, you'd think as a language writer i would be able to think of languages right <laughs> the target um, language I, happens to be portuguese okay i would go on wikipedia because um wikipedia often lists published like uh they have wikipedia is really great because they have lots of lists so um this is sometimes how i find music too like i'll search for composers in x country or um artists in x country or authors in x country you can do publishers in x country and wikipedia actually has lists most of the time and so um, those lists serve as good starting points because then once you start googling those companies google kind of figures out oh you're looking for this sort of thing and then if you ever notice on the right sidebar it says people who search for this also searched for this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or some it's sometimes at the top and then you can kind of then you kind of branch out from there and you find other things in this process so that's how i do it we need like a spotify for books Right? Well, that's kind of what Goodreads is, isn't it? Mm. A little bit. Okay, so before you go, please, you've mentioned previously sort of your language challenge, but if somebody is brand new, I, I love the language reading challenge. Um, I haven't read a single book that you've assigned, but I, I keep looking <laughs> <laughs> and hoping. Um, but, you know, like, I, I, I love just that it's there and love, um, I don't know, like following it, even though I'm not, because my Welsh just isn't up to books, you know, but still... Even even just seeing what's out there and seeing that people are participating is awesome. So, before you go, tell me about the Language Reading Challenge. Okay, so the Language Reading Challenge is a challenge that I hold every year and um, each month has a theme. You don't actually have to follow the theme. The themes are just guidelines in case you don't know what to work on or what to read. So you can kind of work on or read whatever you like, but the theme is just kind of to give you some inspiration. So each month we tackle something different. So um, one month you might read a book that takes place in a country that speaks your language. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in your target language. But if it is, all the better. 
Um, one month we read a book that's translated into your uh, language that you're learning. Another month you'll read a book that was originally written in the language. One month we may read a comic book or a book that has illustrations of some sort because those can act as a guide to help you understand the text. Um, another month we'll read about the history of the country. So then again, you can do it in your target language or you can read a book that's written in your native language about a country that speaks your target language. Um, so there's all these different themes and they change every month and every year. Um, so I kind of look at what the most popular ones are when I start the next year and change them up, add some, some new ideas and different things like that. It originally started as a link up on my blog, but now it's a Goodreads reading club. So, um, the group is on Goodreads. Um, but I still post reviews of the books that I read as a part of the challenge on yourlinguist.com. And it's just a really fun way to get some reading practice and to connect with other language learners and to get recommendations from them. Absolutely awesome. So that link is in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. And if you want to find a magazine that is um, available in your target language or your target market, I would recommend that you either well, that this is what I used to do in the 90s, is just really like ask a friend in that country, but also look for, and Wikipedia is a great resource here again, um, look for big, big titles that are available in a, like so, so many languages. Your magazines like Glamour, Cosmopolitan, I mean, I'm, I'm a woman, so this is where um, I, I read or I read sort of coming up. And that will give you access to lots of different pages and you get lots of these magazines online and also look for language learning magazines. So between that and the inspiration from the reading challenge, and I do, I love the variety that you post on there, Shannon. That is one of the, the great, great things that, because what it does it is it really does what reading should do, which is grow our world, you know, sort of make, make things bigger. Um, and not just, you know, like you're not just reading the same story that tells you about the world that you already know, um, again, with different words and that just makes it into a vocab learning exercise. And I don't know, they're useful, but that's not ultimately we, we want to go bigger with language. We want yeah. to transcend. Um, <laughs> and, and finally publishers in a foreign language, I think is a really great idea and there's book blogs. So as I said, you will find all of the links for this episode at podcast.fluentlanguage.co.uk and I know that you've got to go, Shannon, so <laughs> before you rush off and you're just like, bye, and hang up on me, I'm going to say goodbye to you properly. Uh, thank you very much for coming in and hanging out with me a little bit. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Awesome. And I will see you again very, very soon. Um, it's we, We've only just met, like listeners don't notice, but we've just met in person like three weeks ago for the first time mm -hmm. ever. And it was, it was really lovely to sort of, you know, so I can now confirm that Shannon is an actual person. And yes, I am a real person. So yeah. is Kirsten, just in case you were wondering. Just in case you were wondering. Uh, <laughs> we are both real people. And um, with that being said, so podcast.fluentlanguage.co.uk. And you can find Shannon at Eurolinguist, which has a silent E at the end. So it's E-U-R-O-L-I-N-G-U-I-S-T-E dot com. And you can find me at fluentlanguage.co.uk. And that's it. Bye, guys. Bye. Hi guys, just a quick reminder that the Creative Language Learning Podcast is sponsored today by 
Close Master. If you want a language learning app that delivers and keeps you hooked, you need to get on Close Master. It's super addictive and open to a huge range of language learners thanks to its amazing 50 languages. To support our show today, go to closemaster.com slash CLLP where you will find a bonus video with tips from me and a special voucher to use if you decide to try out their pro membership. So that's closemaster.com slash CLLP and I'll see you there.